0: Hey, I'm JR. And I'm Mike from the 18 over par with Mike and JR
1: Podcast.
0: Welcome to season three of the pod, where we'll continue exploring the sights, stories, and sounds of golf on the prairies, where you'll find some of the most golf courses per capita of anywhere in the world and beer.
1: Lots of beer. Lots of beer, JR.
2: It's the 18 Over Par Podcast with Mike and JR. You suck,
3: you duck out.
0: Welcome to 18 Over Par with Mike and Jr. proudly presented by Bryce Matlasiewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. I'm junior he's Mike, and today we're joined by Modern Golf VP Stu Bannentine. Now residing in Ontario, he grew up and played competitively as a junior in Manitoba, and is a son of Manitoba Golf Hall of Famer, Steve Bannatine. Well, uh, it's been ooh, three seasons now of the pod. We're halfway through season number three, and it took us this long to get in touch with this gentleman, but his name is synonymous with golf in Manitoba. Maybe not so much himself, although we will get into the crazy LinkedIn, I guess what you would call it, not a resume. But yeah, we'll call it your resume. Your LinkedIn resume of golf-related activities Junior, all the way up until now, which uh, is pretty impressive considering, you know, just a Winnipeg boy growing up uh, near St. Charles in Westwood. Did you go to Westwood? No, you went to Bruce. Then where did you go? Westwood Collegiate?
2: Uh, St. Paul's. St. Paul's Sorry, right? And then St. Paul's. Lincoln, Lincoln, Bruce, St. Paul's.
0: St. Paul's and talk about some high school golf, some fun that we had around that. But uh, without further ado, let's just get into it. And we want to give a, a shout out to St. Charles member. We're going to be talking about St. Charles a lot, and that is Bryce Malishewski, who's an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. We also have all of his info in our link tree, so just go to our social media pages, click on our bio, and in there you'll get a nice little link tree, and you can find out more about Bryce Matlashuski. And you yourself, Stu, you know Bryce, don't you?
2: I do I have uh, had the pleasure of knowing Bryce for without trying to date myself too badly here. I think thirty years now I think we uh we both joined St. Charles at nine years old, if you can believe that wow. nineteen ninety three um so yeah, Bryce and I go a long way back. We went to school together. we've stayed friends for a very, very long time, lots of close friends, so not a small world in this uh in this place for sure.
0: Yeah, now he's sponsoring a podcast, and you're on the podcast as a guest because Bryce doesn't want to come on the show, doesn't think he's interesting enough, but I'm sure
2: he is. nice nah, he's being modest. He's being <laughs> modest. I'm a little offended he hasn't asked me to be on it himself, but I'll uh, <laughs> I'll take episode. Cause this this got to be about 70 plus for uh, you guys. Something
0: now. in there, yeah. We're we're getting close. We're getting close to 100. That'll be something.
2: Absolutely, well, I'm Thrilled, uh, thrilled to be a part of it. This is this is exciting for me.
0: Well, and even uh, chatting a little bit before we we got on here. Uh, it is interesting for both Mike and I just knowing, you know, this is kind of part of your day, especially now living where you are. So where exactly are you and your commute to work?
2: So I am, uh, I am Oakville, Ontario. Mm-hmm. I have been here now 11 years, 12 years, maybe. Um, and yeah, tra- trucking past all a lot of very famous golf courses on my way to work every day, past Glen Abbey and past past St. George's and, uh, Kind of in golf mecca, if, uh, and I get to drive past Toronto Golf Club and Credit Valley and Mississauga and all the uh, really, really awesome places in the country. So, in uh, the golf hotbed of, of Canada for sure.
0: All the while listening to the real golf bed of or golf hotbed of Canada right here in the prairies and the eighteen over Power podcast. So, thanks for absolutely.
2: Inv-
0: <laughs> thanks for inviting well, us into was, your life.
2: <laughs> well, as I was saying, it's uh, it, it's incredible to just kind of stay feels you know that you're still connected to Manitoba golf through the podcast. It's uh, amazing to just hear what's going on in the city and the province and the guests that are, you know, peers and friends and idols and every other number of things. So uh, I'm thrilled to, thrilled to be on it and chat some Manitoba golf here.
0: Well, let's uh, get into that then and how exactly you got into the game of golf. I'm assuming it was through your father.
2: Yes. Yeah. The, uh, (laughs) the apple tried to fall far from the tree, I guess. And it didn't. I, um, I always like to say I came out of the womb with a golf club and took me a while to really appreciate it. You know, as any kid, you want to skateboard, you want to play hockey, you want to play football and then dumb luck. I think in a lot of ways, quite truthfully, I, as I mentioned, joined the golf club at nine years old. Um, my dad actually was the president of St. Charles at the time. And one of his his final moves as the president was changed the, um, entry age from 10 to nine. So I could join that year. Uh, so Bryce and I have, uh, technically the distinction of being the youngest members to ever join St. Charles at, uh, at that, but wow.
0: paved I, the way for the future.
2: That's it. Yeah. Trailblazers somehow <laughs> or another, right? <laughs> Nepotism at its finest, but it's, um, you know, it was one of those funny things. I, I played golf. Um, it was kind of my dad's thing. And, and I, still thought that the NHL was an opportunity or I could be the next Tony Hawk or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't until 97 and and Tiger quite truthfully winning the masters that kind of made it cool. And I had, I had two close friends, Logan Young and Jeff McGregor that joined the golf club. And we just started playing every day as kids often do. And you start to kind of fall in love with it and realize it's pretty cool to make birdies and make pars and games started progressing pretty rapidly. And, uh, I guess 27 years later, whatever that is, we're, we're here. So,
0: <laughs> well, let's not jump too far ahead. Cause we'll, I think we'll have to talk about your dad a little bit, a little bit more Fair, than that and yes. give him props. But was your mom okay with this? Like what, what was going on? Was he trying to press upon you a golf club and say, Hey, I'm going golf and you're coming with me sort of thing. Ooh.
2: Yeah, I think it was a little bit of that. I mean, my mom, she probably plays more golf than anybody in the family. And she, she had played the game. That's where my parents met actually was at St. Charles. My dad worked there uh, from kind of the late sixties, early seventies. And my mom, he was in the pro shop. My mom was a waitress there. Um, So strangely enough, actually my mom and her, I know one sister for sure, maybe two, both met their husbands. All three of them met their husbands at St. Charles. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty funny. So it, it, was cool you know my dad's been involved with the golf club since the late 60s um you know still a member obviously and my mom played a little bit and then when we were younger she you know she was dealing with us a little bit more she was a teacher so she didn't have as much time to play golf and then started playing again kind of about the same time i did and uh the only one that really doesn't play is my my older brother scott he uh I wish I was my older brother's build cause he's about six two and you know, has the perfect frame to hit it about 400 yards <laughs> nowadays. But, uh, I got the five 845 pound frame growing up and, and, you know, didn't do well on a hockey rink, but made it a little bit more, I guess a little further in the golf course, but it was yeah family thing. You know, we played a lot of golf as a family. We played a lot of golf and, you know, as I got a little bit better, it was really fun to be able to compete with my old man. And uh, I think I got him for the first time at 15. And wow. it's, uh, you know, probably more his decline as a, getting older than my uh, my skyrocketing as a player. But it's, um, yeah, definitely very intertwined with my family. My grandfather was a a longtime member at both Rossmere and Elmhurst. Um, so it's been in our family a long time. So it's uh, pretty cool to make it a career and um, come by it honestly, I guess. Did you get
0: lessons from your dad, your mom, your grandfather, everyone maybe? Or was it a professional uh, maybe that took you under their wing?
2: Probably less than you'd think from my dad. We played a lot of golf together, but he was, I think, wanted me to do my own thing. Wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today without Corey Cartouche, quite truthfully. Um, you know, Corey, I actually, you know, when, when he was on the pod with you guys and, and he was talking about, showing up on Sunday mornings for his lessons at the Wascana and the pro taking him under his wing. He did the same for me. And he, at the time, this would have been probably, Oh, maybe 99, actually 99 or 2000. Uh, Corey had just come over from Regina started off the year with a bang. He won the first three uh, Manitoba PGA events. And here I am trying to get better at golf. And there's this guy that's winning everything. And I thought, well, shoot, this guy's probably a big guy to take some <laughs> lessons from But, You know, it was funny to to hear that story when he was saying, you know, he just, the pro kind of told him, Hey, show up next week. And you know, Hey, what do I owe you? And it, and it was kind of paying, paying it forward, I guess, in a lot of ways. Um, works and Corey did that with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I I owe Corey a ton and, you know, he still actually just talked to him a couple of days ago. He's still a, a really great friend, a really great mentor, and probably the most impactful person for me in my golf career is trying to get to, you know, as high as I could take it. And as far as I could take it, Corey's always been there for the, for the whole, you know, Pretty much the whole show
0: of it so pretty much out of the gate, were you playing competitively? did your parents get you involved in that? Did Corey get you involved in any competitive tournaments, say maybe outside the the, the junior tournament or tournaments at St Charles?
2: Not really. I mean playing with playing with Jeff and Logan when we were growing up, and Maddie Johnston was there. Uh, Maddie played a lot of tournament golf, and we were, you know rivals before we were really close friends. You know, he was always, he spent a lot of time at his Lake and he was playing a lot of golf up in, uh, you know, at, at, at Sandy Hook and at Toulon and those kinds of places. So we didn't really spend a ton of time together, but he was playing a lot of competitive golf. He was kind of the best of the four of us. And then I started playing a little more. I probably played my first Manitoba junior at 14 or 15. And that was just kind of, you know, as I started to get the bug and, uh, and then I guess kind of the rest is history from there with, um, playing pretty much as, as much as we could. And we were fortunate kind of my era was when the future links tournament started. So we got a little bit of, you know, more competition there. And yeah, that was, that uh, was kind of when it all started. So more so just trying to, you know, break 80 and play decent and then see how you could stack up playing other courses playing play in the junior tournaments and things to meet other kids and play golf with them was really cool. And, you know, some, some really long lasting friendships that still exist from, You know, as sad as it is to say 25 years ago playing junior golf.
0: Hey, it's an honor and privilege to get old. So never... Yes, uh, I
2: will. uh, (laughs) Cheers to that.
0: So through all that, was there ever a certain point in time in your mind, at least, that you thought, hey, I'm actually pretty good at this game of golf?
2: There was always a desire to be good. You know, I mean, as I say, Tiger had such a big influence on us playing. And I think every time you hit that milestone, when you break 80 or you shoot even par or something you start thinking bigger and as we got a little bit older jeff and logan both kind of jeff was a really great hockey player logan actually moved to memphis tennessee with his family and so maddie johnson and i played all the time and we both started talking wouldn't it be cool if you know let's play college golf let's try to turn pro and it just, it kind of stemmed from there. We, we were able to push each other pretty good. We, you know, had very similar aspirations. We both wanted to take it as far as we could. And, you know, the dream was maybe you could play professional golf one day and, you know, having Spearsy there too was, was awesome because he was a few years older than us and kind of led us to believe that it was doable. Um, you know, kind of like we were talking about off air in the sense of how many great players have come before us from Manitoba and how many great players exist in Manitoba today. And, um, Adam was, you know, Robbie Mack obviously was the pinnacle, but Adam was kind of that showed us that we could do it. And so when he was at Miami of Ohio, he was telling us stories about how amazing NCAA college golf was and just American college in general. And when he was, you know, had turned pro Matt and I got to, spent some time down in San Antonio, Texas, and they came through on a Canadian tour swing and we caddied for the guys. And just, we always felt like we were, I think we both tell you, we felt like we were one step away all the time. And if it was junior golf playing competitive amateur golf or amateur golf, playing competitive collegiate golf or collegiate golf, playing professional golf, we had a trailblazer ahead of us that was very helpful. And I think it was just kind of working hard and shooting some good scores and then seeing if you could get to the next step.
0: Well, you certainly shot some good scores, uh, or maybe a good score at that time. Uh, early in the 2000s, was it the Optimus Junior Championship?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That uh, larders larders at St Andrews in 2000, and I think it's one. I think I was 17. I think I shot 30 on the back nine to win, or 31 oh, wow. on the back nine to win, or something like that. Yeah, that was that was cool. That was that was kind of the first and one of the very few things I actually did win as a junior. But again, you know, as 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 just kind of playing well and kind of fine, and I think that was a two day event. And that was wish I knew this better seventy five sixty nine. It sounds right in my head, but yeah, I mean, amazing to get to go and play in the Optimus World Juniors down in uh, PGA National at the time in Florida. And that tournament was funny because I I played about as good as I'd ever played for 36 holes. And I was two under par 72 70 to start the tournament. And I was, I think nine back to a young man by the name of Jeff Overton, who then went on to win some PJ tour events and play on a Ryder cup team and a few other pretty cool things. So (laughs) um, that was the first eye eye-opening experience to what really play golf like. And uh, you know, you realized you were probably a little further away than you wanted to be, but it was a pretty, pretty incredible thing to get to be a part of that.
0: Was that maybe a moment, or maybe there was a more pivotal pivotal moment where you're like, "Hey, maybe I actually do want to make this a career and give it a shot, whether it's collegiately or professionally."
2: Yeah, I think the you know I think the first two rounds, I, I, I you know as I say, I was seventy two seventy after the first two rounds, and you realized you could do it. I think I shot seventy seven, seventy eight, or seventy eight, seventy seven, or something. The last two rounds and finished well down the field, but you realized as you, you know, the one thing that was always interesting was when you played up a level, the golf course got a little harder. It got a little longer. The players got a little better, but you realized you could do it, you know? And I think that we had such an amazing group of, of golfers um, you know, many podcast guests that you guys have had when, you know, the slightly older crowd of, of Pete Moore and Kevin Kotick and Brad Curtin and Ryan Horn and those guys, Terry James. And then we had, you know, my age was, was Ty Mancini and Maddie Johnston and uh, myself and Kurt Shirley and uh, gosh, the list goes on and on and Keister and Terry Riley and those guys kind of followed. And so we were really competitive and we had, you know, 10 or 15 guys that could really play some good golf, regardless of where it was, whether it was Manitoba or Canada or North America or whatever. And I think we just kind of learned to play pretty well. And when you saw somebody else do something cool, you know, if Mike went and did something really neat or, you know, Brad Curtin or somebody like that, you felt, oh, I could, you know, I could do that too. And uh, a whole bunch of us did play NCAA college golf, which was really cool. And yeah, just, you know, I think, I think the best example of just steadily progressing is Aaron Cockrell in the sense that little younger than all of us, but just kept getting better all the time. And, you know, he was probably going to go down as one of the best to ever come out of the province, which is really neat.
0: So there's still hope for Mike and I, we just got to keep on having at her.
2: <laughs> well, incremental gains, and, uh... incremental gains, right? <laughs> yeah. Champions tour is looking really good.
4: I think, uh, and Cockerell is just a sneeze off from making the cut this uh, past weekend at the Canadian open too. So that was, uh good things are to come for him.
2: Yeah, no question. I mean, he made six on uh six on the 18th hole there, I think. And, You know, one shot away and, you know, some phenomenal results this year. Almost picked up his first win and, uh, you know, just continues to build. He just seems so impressive to watch. He just keeps getting better. So some good things to come for him, for sure. Well,
0: before we jump into a little bit later on in your career to up until this point we have to go back and reminisce about the high school golf years. Cause uh, I played on silver Heights from 2003 to 2005. And also we had Al McLean who I believe was playing with the minor brothers uh, on Westwood. And he brought up uh, the St. Paul's assholes, I believe in his episode from last season. And you were just hoping it wasn't you, but it might've been you.
2: I, well, I sure hope it wasn't. I sure hope it wasn't. I think he said him and Adam were playing the, uh, the team, you know, one or two guys. So I'm hoping those were the uh, the 2001 grads, not the 2002 grads, and I wasn't a part of that, or that was a week I couldn't play or something. But it's uh, definitely, definitely a good laugh to hear the boys mention that one. And nothing nothing beat the high school golf at Tuxedo, though, that's for sure. That was an absolute highlight.
0: Well, it was close for you guys. It was almost like a home course it would have been.
2: It, yeah, that's right. It was. It was. Uh, you could almost walk there from... <laughs> <laughs> you get out of class a little early and get there for the four o'clock tea time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but even at that age, I, I remember going up against St. Paul's and I mean, he always was like, oh, okay, shit, these guys like, cause they're some good golfers. And I'm guessing you probably stay in touch with them to this day.
2: Yeah. You know what? I mean, there's a number of, a number of guys, the, 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 the quarters are close, so to speak. I mean, Mike Keese was on that team. Terry Riley was on that team. Myself. It's just such a small range. I mean, a few years behind us, obviously Derek East and some of those kids that played. So, yeah, it's amazing how, you know, I was mentioned to you, I had dinner with Derek on Sunday. He was in town and a couple of weeks ago, Kurt Shirley was in town. And, you know, the boys are uh, never too far away. When you get back in Winnipeg, you run into them. And, and as I say, I live vicariously through this podcast half the time because I, <laughs> I feel like I'm still playing putter with all those guys when I'm hearing everybody talk about it and that kind of stuff. Well, thank you. Who yeah. paid for dinner? I did this time oh, actually. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I did this time. In that case, me and
4: Jr. will have to come and visit you, and uh, you Please. can buy us dinner.
2: <laughs> yes, I would. Uh, it would be my pleasure. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah. i uh, i
4: live I live my life from one free dinner to the next. When I was doing my research, uh, he said that Stu is one of the best club fitters in the. Uh, in, on the on the continent of North America, and one of the best uh, golf industry guys in the whole business. So that was uh, some great compliments from Bryce.
2: Wow. That's very sweet of him. That's very uh, very nice of him to say. Did you pay him to say that? I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, you know how much um, kind of deal money Bryce deals with. So that's, uh, I had to pay him a lot to get him to say that. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> we take a quick break to hear from Bryce Madlachowski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund.
1: Well, Bryce, it's uh, it's great to uh, to have you on and to have a quick chat. My first question is, uh, what can an investment advisor like yourself from Endeavor Wealth uh, do for me, and how can that differ from my my current experience of trading with well simple uh, just based on my the recent Twitter feeds.
3: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on you guys. Yeah. D- discount brokers like Well Simple uh, certainly have their place. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, you get what you're, you pay for. Uh, those platforms are very limited in what they offer and they're more ideal for just basic trading. So if that's what you're looking to do, and it, it's really not a bad platform for that, but what we do at Endeavor, uh, we take a more holistic approach, uh, We examine an individual's needs, uh, both short-term and long-term, and we go way beyond just investments. We look for tax opportunities, ensuring the decisions you are making today, uh, minimize your overall tax that you might be paying. Uh, we also help our clients address estate and insurance needs. So really anything we can do to uh, assist in your overall wealth management approach. And going back to some of those discount brokers and, and, and things that you see on the internet, uh, a lot of times people don't realize the amount of intrinsic risk that they're taking on with with making some of those trades. And so finding balance is, is another key thing that we do for our clients at, at Endeavor.
0: That was Bryce Maliszewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, about uh, Lincoln, then Bruce, and then uh, St. Paul's, but uh, we didn't we didn't digress yeah. much about Bruce and being Bruce Barons ourselves.
1: We are all Bruce Barons <laughs> uh, now. They're called the ch-
2: Bearcats or something. I'm not sure, but no kidding. Weird synergy. That was my college team name, the uh, Sam Houston State Bearcats. So it's, it's okay, all coming well. full circle here.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's a great great segue uh, into that and. Uh, So going from, you know, St. Paul's, did you start putting the feelers out then to U.S. colleges? Did they come knocking on your door? Because you ended up at the U of M for a year.
2: It's true. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I, I started putting the feelers out about probably the end of 11th grade and just started kind of, you know, sending your summer results out and sending summer interest out, hoping that you'd get some coaches eyes on you. I had had a couple of smaller school offers, you know, Northern schools, division two schools, that kind of stuff. And still was kind of holding out hope that there might be a division one school that, that wanted to take a chance on me. And Maddie Johnston and I were both in the same boat. And this one will go down in the record books as one of the craziest things we both ever did because we made a PowerPoint presentation And we presented to our parents the idea that we were going to move to San Antonio as two 18 year old morons and just play golf. And we were going to play tournaments. We'd built a tournament schedule. We had a place to practice. We'd found apartments. We had, we had literally priced this out to the cent, and thought maybe we'll get scholarships if we do it. And, and our parents, they both said, sure. And we still, to this day, not sure how we convinced him to do it, but we, we hopped into his truck We put everything we owned basically into it, drove down to San Antonio, Texas and uh, rented an apartment at the chase Hill apartment complex. And we practiced at a place called the diamondback Academy, which was being operated by a guy by the name of Tom Ralph, who was from Brandon originally. Tom's done actually some incredible things in the golf industry, still out in, uh, in the Texas area. And we just practiced and played. We played on the Texas junior tour. We practiced every day. We met a bunch of coaches Uh, And Maddie, you know, by hook or by crook, he ended up at San Antonio, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. And I ended up at uh, Sam Houston State. So one of those wouldn't believe it if it didn't happen to me kind of stories. But somehow we convinced our parents that we weren't going to kill ourselves or each other. And, uh, you know, we just rented an apartment. Maybe we were that big of golf nerds, the two of us that they knew we weren't going to get ourselves in any trouble. But, um, yeah, we spent basically like a October to April in Texas. We practiced, we played, we competed and both turned it into college scholarships, which was pretty neat.
0: Would you still have that PowerPoint presentation?
2: <laughs> you know what? I wish I did. Uh, Matt was our Matt was our lead. I was okay. just there for you know dramatic effect. I I hit the you know like the star emojis and stuff like that. But Maddie did all the talking. Yeah. That's probably why we succeeded here.
4: Hopefully, some uh, some good animations and you know a little. That, that was my that was cat. my
2: contribution. Yeah, the, the the swipe in for the picture and you know all the other stuff. But uh, no, it was awesome. I mean, we we felt like tour players. We you know we just put everything we had into it and just kept trying to get better. And we both ended up with a division one college scholarship in Texas to show for it, which was pretty cool.
0: Was that just through meeting some of the coaches down there while you were down there?
2: Yeah, it was, you know, it was an interesting thing. I think the one thing for Canadians, it's always difficult. If you don't play events in the United States, they don't really have a lot to judge you off of. You know, they don't know the golf courses. They don't know the players. They don't know a lot of those things. And so being down there and playing a full season on the Texas junior tour, we got to compete against a lot of the kids that were vying for scholarships at those schools as well. And so Matt played super, super consistent golf the whole year. I won one tournament and finished second in another and had my uh, general fluctuations that I do in my golf game. But um, I think just getting out there and meeting people and, you know, competing against, people who were vying for scholarships at those schools was a, was a huge help for the both of us.
0: So what was it like then meeting your teammates on Sam? Did you have to try out or how did that work till they said, here, here you go. Here's a, here's a scholarship.
2: Yeah. So I was, I was granted a scholarship or offered a scholarship and was just sort of, you know, fill out the information. You had to be approved by the NCAA clearing house and you had to obviously, you know, prove that you'd graduated high school and all that other stuff. And just basically jumped into my Honda Accord. My mom and I drove down. I ended up in a dormitory with a kid from Scotland. Um, we had we had 11 or 12 guys on our team. We had about 10 girls on our, on our women's team. Um, and crazily enough, again, awesome people. Uh, still very close with a lot of them. Uh, talked with one of them today, oddly enough, is him and his wife just had a kid. So I was really lucky because not everybody has that same experience in college golf in the sense of, some people they don't get along with their team. They don't get along with their coach. They don't, you know, it's just a means to an end for four years, but, uh, it was awesome. It was, it's like retiring, you know, it, you, you know, had to go to class for a few hours a day, but then you just went to the golf course and hung out and, uh, and had a pretty damn good time. So mm, wow, it was uh, definitely Dream. a very good four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you uh, major in something or golf? Uh, <laughs> I <just kinda laughs> like to say golf. I, um, I actually did major in psychology, oh. um, which was in my head. I always kind of thought that I guess somewhat of what I'm doing now would have been the fallback. And I thought that psychology would have been an interesting endeavor to, you know, major in and, and try to then maybe correlate that to sports psychology in the future. Largely having been in sales now, most of my uh, career, it, it certainly has its bearings as well, but Mm-hmm. um that was my that was my yeah I got out of it with a degree that my parents at least recognized we're happy enough to see yeah exactly happy <laughs> enough to say that hey you didn't just play golf for four years so <laughs> you
0: didn't do the That's... old rocks for jocks
4: yeah <laughs>
2: No, I did. I did. I will admit, my my senior year. Somebody else made mention of this on the podcast. That basically my senior year was underwater door slamming and basket weaving. Um, it was a statistics for psychology test and uh, or uh, part of me statistics for psychology lab, and badminton and tennis was my uh, my final semester of school. So. I um, got to wake up every Tuesday and Thursday, and then go smash it around on a tennis court or a badminton court for an hour and a half, and then go sit through a stats lab. But uh, nice, I love uh, I love racket sports. It was awesome! It was awesome. I uh, <laughs> it was my favorite class. I got an A in that one too. So,
1: do you do you dabble in the the pickleball or the uh, I I heard there's a new European game called paddleball, which is different from pickleball, but
2: everybody keeps talking about pickleball there's actually a court not too far from my house out here in oakville and uh i haven't i haven't got there yet but i'm gonna have to try one day
1: the other thing i like to bring up uh college related is is the alumni of sam houston and uh this one i'm sure you didn't go to school with him but dan rather american journalist yes dan
2: rather actually there was a building on uh There was a building on campus, the Dan Rather Building. I think it was Communications. Yeah, makes sense. (laughs) Uh, The other one, I think Uh. that if I'm right in saying it, I think uh, Billy Gunn from Degeneration X in the WWE. There was, uh, yes. Billy Gunn was an alumni. I I didn't
1: know if. uh, I guess I'm not up onto my wrestling. uh, my wrestling knowledge, but yeah, I saw that one. Uh, he was in the AEW. Did he make it to the WWE? I don't know. Yeah. yeah well, when in, I yeah. was a
2: kid, he was big. Yeah. Um, he was yeah. In, uh,
1: yeah. He was a big star back in the day. I I was say, was... Mike,
0: You probably would have remembered at Bruce middle school, t- giving the old suck it sign to teachers. And I'm sure the teachers really oh,
1: enjoyed that. The, the NWO. I, know, I know team, I know team <laughs>
0: lefty and uh, myself. We were big right, generation right. X fans.
1: Generation X. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh i don't know i uh, i maybe for a little bit i seemed like that was big for a while i'd hate to be a teacher in that time and and these punk kids you know telling you to suck it i mean that would just that been, was right like, that would have been that terrible been
2: right when i was at bruce yeah that would have been late 90s right when i was yes, at bruce. And like
1: imagine <laughs> imagine yourself now as an adult in some like kid comes up to you and does that I mean, you, you would just cringe and have to hold yourself from absolutely throwing that kid into the traffic into traffic yeah so anyways but uh yeah dan rather and then uh, lots of baseballers footballers uh there's there a couple of guys there so seems like a school of athletes and good talkers
2: it was a good. It was a good sports program, yeah. And actually, now young uh, Noah Steele, who's a hell of a good young player, playing some you know Canadian tour and kind of making his foray into um, professional golf from Canada. He was. Uh, he's now a recent grad there as well. So,
0: did you notice a big jump in competition when you started playing there?
2: Yeah, we were pretty good. We had some pretty damn good players on our team, and we were fortunate in our second year, we got a new coach and he had some wonderful connections. So we got to kind of punch above our weight class a little bit and play in some tournaments that we probably shouldn't have been playing in as a team. In that era, guys like Anthony Kim, Pablo Martin, Chris Kirk, Matt every, you know, amazing to kind of have played tournaments with those guys and, you know, seeing how good those guys were. And, you know, guys like AK that Anthony would win tournaments by 10, 12 shots. And then, you know you'd sit there and go oh yeah that's the kind of guy that is going to make it in the uh, the professional world and so pretty cool to see some some really great players uh, lamar was a school just in in south texas they had a whole their top 5 were all pj tour quality players dobby vanderwalt and casey clendenin and uh, justin harding who's played really well in the masters a few times and just a whole bunch of really really great players that make you realize you're uh, you're probably not good enough to do it but it was it was fun while it lasted
0: so did you get to play any, any neat courses in around that area? Did you get to travel a bit? Like what conference was Sam Houston in?
2: So we were Southland conference. Okay. So we were Southland conference. So we were ourselves Lamar, Oral Roberts, Stephen F. Austin, North Texas, that kind of stuff. Um, played some amazing golf courses. We were fortunate enough to get to play at a course called Whispering Pines. Um, generally ranked as one of the top few in Texas, middle of nowhere, Trinity, Texas, and just absolutely incredible. Uh, got to play Squire Creek in Louisiana, which was, again, uh, I mean, everything seems like Augusta when you don't know what Augusta is like. But uh, it was unbelievable. So many wonderful golf courses in the Houston area and the San Antonio area. Um, you know, Oak Hill, where they've played PJ Tour events and Champions Tour events in San Antonio. So, yeah, some pretty, really neat ones that you got to check off the list for sure.
0: And even I guess winding it it back a little bit, and we'll we'll jump back into a little bit more of the, the Sam Houston stuff here in a second. You did bring up Monday Putter, and it, I just didn't want to forget to bring up Monday Putter because I believe the cup is named the Banatine Cup. So, so I'm assuming it that is as, as a result of of your father.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. Thank you for not uh, <laughs> pretending it was me. That uh, you
0: played in it, a, though. I assume
2: I played. Yes, Monday Putter. I played uh, some of my favorite memories. Quite truthfully, one of one of my biggest. Um, fears about turning pro actually in 08 or 09, whenever I did, was not playing Monday putter anymore because it really was, you know, Petey Moore when he was on the pod talked about how how much we'd learned from our dads about how important putter was and uh, Jay Doyle's done an amazing job with it since and, you know, when Jay reached out to me and said, hey, you know, do you think that your dad would be cool with us naming this the Banatine Cup? I, you know, the old guy probably didn't really let on how much that meant to him, but he was very influential in putter for years, Um, you know, when they kind of took it over and they wanted to introduce more competitive golf for amateurs in Manitoba. Like we were talking about off the, you know, off air, there wasn't a lot of golf to be played and there wasn't a lot of competitive golf to be played. And one of the things I think that spurred a lot of guys on to be really good was just getting the opportunity to compete. And, you know, when you think about I guess at its peak, there would have been 16 or 20 teams of eight guys playing eight weeks, plus the playoffs. There was, you know, hundreds of rounds of competitive golf that were being added to Manitoba golf through Monday putter. And uh, so it was kind of uh, the one thing that, you know, I think united all of us. And if our dads played, we learned about it. And then if, you know, we were playing it, we were telling everybody how great putter was and how important it was. And um, pretty, pretty special to see it kind of live on with the old guy that uh, they've you know, named the cup after him for sure. No matter how many times, it seems like every year somebody breaks it though. So I don't know if that's an uh, <laughs> indictment on our family or what, but it uh, seems like every time somebody wins the putter cup, they break it that in the celebration, but, but
0: good uh, at golf, but brittle. The bad. Yeah, guys. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Is
1: it uh, I I don't, I think we've looked this up before, but is it an actual cup, can you, can you put liquid in it?
2: Yes, you can. I believe the old trophy, the old trophy used to be at our house all the time when it wasn't, you know, given out to the champions and the thing was like four and a half feet and there was these big persimmon clubs on it and all (laughs) couldn't even breathe on it or it'd fall apart. So I Uh, think when he had it done, I think they, you know, drinking out of it was number one and making sure that it would, uh, it would last getting thrown around a little bit was probably number two.
1: That's funny. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, keeping on Steve, uh, your your father uh yeah two two manitoba men's amateur championships played on uh manitoba willington cup teams 71 73 74 75 and then the 1974 team uh was the first Manitoba team to win the the Wellington Cup which would be mm-hmm. the Canadian am kind of uh provincial part of the tournament. So that, that's pretty amazing. I don't has there been uh, a Manitoba team that's won since. I don't. I don't think so. But, yes, uh, I think
2: ninety. I think Hashimoto, McMillan, okay, Spears, and somebody else might have done it. Yeah, Dad. Some pretty good you players. Know, it's a, yeah, yeah. I've
1: heard of them. I've heard of them.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's neat. And Dad actually just to, just to toot his horn a little bit too. He was also in nineteen sixty nine. I think it was. I uh, was the first team to actually win the Canadian junior team championship. So himself, oh. they actually just that team, my dad of all things is a three-time Manitoba golf hall of fame member, which I don't know how that works, but, um, <laughs> once on his own. And then <laughs> that's right. Once on his, on his own. And then once as a, uh, Willingham cup team member and once as a junior team member. So himself, oh, cool. David Hill, I should know the other two, Billy Parker, and or pardon me, Kenny Redford and somebody else. They, uh, they won a Toronto golf club out here, which again, you know, weird synergies. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite places in the world as well. And they won in, I think 69 uh, or 68. The, uh, they were the first team to ever win the Canadian junior championship. So the,
1: the other thing I found interesting in, in 69 caddied for Gord Newton at the shell, wonderful world of golf, uh, which yes. is, video, yeah. video is still available on YouTube. If, if yes. you guys want to look that it up, it's, right. And he's at St. Chuck's there, and uh, it's actually it's a super fun thing to watch, and and so well commentated and super old school. Uh, and uh, yeah, Gordon Hudson, just a, an absolutely uh, stylish man, you know, like he, he, he was an absolute character. But I think he was originally from Winnipeg, and then and then maybe played out of Toronto. Is that or maybe yep.
2: uh, yeah, yeah. So George George grew up uh, in Winnipeg very closely connected with St. Charles for years. And so when my dad worked at the club in the late sixties, early seventies, he, uh, he would shag balls for George. He would caddy for George. He would, you know, got to know him a little bit. And then when D and Newton played that shell's wonderful world of golf match, um, dad, and actually one of his teammates from the Canadian junior championship, Kenny Redfern, I think it was, and I might be wrong in saying that, but I think it was him and Ken, they caddied for George and, uh, Roberto. And so, yeah. Crazy. You know, and, and then finally enough, actually, you're exactly right. George came out here as he started to play. I think, I don't know if it was while he was playing on tour or while it was after, but he actually settled at Oakdale golf and country club where they just had the Canadian open. And he was, uh, he taught there for a long time, spent a lot of time there. And, uh, you know, until he passed away fairly early from cancer. Now, What a story. What a,
1: yeah. Go check out the shell wonderful world of golf. Cause that's, that's always nice to
2: watch. Uh, it's too. it's needed. Funny, funny, quick story about that. Nothing's quick stories. I apologize. They're always <laughs> long, but in, uh, when I lived in Texas, I, I got this great idea. Cause my, I'd never seen the, I'd never seen the match. And so shells head office is actually located in the woodlands or was located in the woodlands in Texas. And so I reached out to them and I said, do you guys have a film division? Can I get a copy of this thing? Can I whatever? Um, and they actually made me a VHS tape. And again, oh. dating myself by saying this, but they made me a VHS tape of the match and I, I gave it to my dad for Christmas and probably oh, 03 or 04, I think. Uh, and that was the first time I'd ever got to see it, but to see it on YouTube now was amazing. It's it, uh, somebody asked me about that recently and I pulled it up and I said, yeah, there's my dad. You know, you can see <laughs> oh, him right that's... there. At, uh, <laughs> that's giving cool. him the club on the first tee or whatever, but yeah, pretty neat. Nice. And nice.
0: Sam Houston alumni Dan Rather was commentating.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that was a little bit, it may have been a little bit before his time.
1: Uh, Dan Rather didn't doesn't know where Winnipeg is. But...
0: <laughs> Shout out to Dan uh, Rather. Well, I um, wanted to jump back into a little bit about Sam yeah. Houston. And I guess, was there a period of time where you were like, yeah, I want to do golf. Golf is my thing. I want to turn pro.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm one of those people that I didn't really have a backup plan. I mean, you know, I just, I just thought it would be easy, you know, Hey, I'll go to Texas for a few years and I'll get really good at golf and then I'll just go start winning tournaments. And, um, none of those things happened of course. And, but it was my, my second and third year there, I played pretty well. And I knew that if I could continue on that path and I could continue working hard and playing while there was a chance, I never got really, I'll say push or pull to do it or not do it from my dad. And, and I think what's interesting was he, he never did. Um, in 75, I think it was, was probably the closest he ever was to turning professional. And he actually got accepted into the accounting program at the university of Manitoba. And that was kind of his decision to not turn pro. And so I think he kind of wanted me to make my own decision. And if I wanted to try it, he's fully supported, but didn't really want to push me one way or the other. And then actually, when I graduated, I, I, I didn't have a great fourth year in college. And I wasn't sure if that was the lifestyle I wanted. I was having a hard time kind of fully understanding that, you know, leaving to play pro golf meant just leaving Winnipeg completely, leaving, you know, anything. You would live in a car, live in a suitcase, live in a hotel, all that kind of stuff. And it took me about a year. I guess I turned pro in 09 because that was when I went down and played on the Adams tour for a little while and played some competitive pro golf just to. I guess, get it out of my system and, uh, you know, see what it was like and see what it, what it was. But, um, I always kind of joke, you know, I was a guy on the range talking to guys about you know the settings on their driver, the spin rates on their irons and that kind of stuff. And when the goal is to beat everybody and you're trying to actively help them get better, you're, you're probably not going to last very long out there. So, uh, I was what I like to call a donator to the, uh, mini tours of the, you know, South Texas <laughs> area. And, uh, and and I guess that leads me to to where I am now
0: well yeah it sounds like uh, it would have been did on those tours did you have to pay an entry fee like how did that work
2: yeah it's it's legalized gambling man it's uh entry fees ranged they were high they were you know five six seven eight hundred dollars a tournament Whoa. um because so much of it you know so much of the purse was supplemented by the entry fees so yeah that that 08, 09 2010 my probably a good solid down payment on a house went to entry fees and you know tiny little one room apartments and hotels and all the other stuff. But uh, you know, I can I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did it to see what the life was like and get it out of my system and recognize that that wasn't the route for me. But I think that's helped me a lot in my career now because there's no what ifs, you know, there's no wondering if I tried, could I have done it? It just wasn't the lifestyle for me.
0: So you hung him up and did you decide? To, did you come back to Winnipeg or where did you end up after that?
2: I did. Yeah, I did. I was back in Winnipeg for uh, probably about six months and I was throughout college and, and that time I had just started doing some demo day like tech repping for TaylorMade. Uh, shout out to Ronnie Balaka over at Pine Ridge. Ronnie was the TaylorMade rep at the time uh, prior to EJ and Ronnie knew me from the caddy shed. I worked for Ron at the caddy shed for a bunch of years and he left to go and actually was a sales rep for Ping for a few years and then went over to TaylorMade and said, Hey, I need a kid to, you know, slug demos at a, uh, at the ranges. Uh, do you want to be my demo day kid? And <laughs> I said, yeah. And so that was summers of 08 and a little bit in 09 and then 2010. And then, uh, I got offered a job out here with TaylorMade and that was 12 years ago, I guess, which 13 years ago, almost, which is kind of wild. Uh,
0: so that was the wow. impetus then to move to Ontario was was for a job, was for work.
2: Yes. Yeah. I was, I was really unsure of what I was going to do. I was really unsure of where the road was going to take me as I hadn't really planned, you know, after pro golf, I just thought well, pro golf will work, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and it was pretty funny because I, I was, as i mentioned to you, JR, as I was, my parents live on the fifth hole, the West side at St. Charles. So I would walk to and from the golf course and I was walking home and I had just gotten a cell phone as dumb as this is to say, I'd only had a cell phone for probably a year at this point. And I went to send a text message, but I actually hit call and I had called my boss in Ontario that I was reporting to as a tech rep for TaylorMade. He said, Hey, are you moving to Toronto? Are you going to take this job that we offered you? And I went, Oh, I guess I am and I didn't even mean to call him. And I, <laughs> and so I walked in the house and my parents were eating dinner and they said, what's up? And I said, Oh, I, I think I'm moving to Toronto. And they went, what? And I said, yeah, I think I just took a job with TaylorMade in Toronto. And, uh, and then the next hardest conversation was explaining that to the girl I was dating at the time that I was up and leaving to go to Toronto. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history, I guess from there. So. Uh, we wow.
0: won't, we won't get too much into the, into the dating mm-hmm. history, but uh, you do know the Porteous family and, <laughs> Ken Porteous, Uh, we chatted a little bit during the Masters uh, gambling preview show, the book, and Mike has it right now. I know you can't see we're on Zoom, but Mike is showing it to the Zoom camera, the home of the champions, (laughs) Sandy Hook, because they celebrated their 100th year in 2022. So hopefully we're going to get Ken on a little bit later on this year, talk about Sandy Hook, maybe talk about Stu and all that good stuff. But yeah, small world when it comes to golf Mm -hmm. uh, in this province, even in this country, maybe on this planet
1: at that point, at that point, are you a CBGA? And my question is, I guess, about a player ability test. And did you have to write that or is there a, or did you get fast tracked?
2: I, I did not join the PGA actually immediately. Um, I joined the PGA when I was, I'd been out here a few years. I think I played in, in 2013, which at the time, if had, I had joined at that time, just kind of based on what I had been playing competitively and stuff, I probably would have been able to be exempt from that. Mm-hmm. um i really didn't play tournament golf from 2010 until 2013 and so uh, i did have to play my pat uh thankfully it only took me one to get through which was nice crazy experience what, what a, one of the weirdest golf experiences you could ever have as a competitive player but uh i was fortunate to be a one and done on that one
0: what was so weird about it playing for your livelihood it's, <laughs> it's
2: kind of that <laughs> and and largely it's the only golf tournament that you ever play that you know what you have to shoot before you tee off. And it was, it was very interesting because when they tell you at the time it was, I think 10 over the course rating or nine over the course rating or something. So I think our site, you had to shoot 79, 78 or 78, 78. It was 36 holes at the time. And I remember being a couple over early and going, if I just keep doing this, if I'm two over par every four holes or whatever it may be, You know, am I going to qualify? And I thought, wait a second, like, that's not how you play golf. You're trying to shoot the lowest score you can shoot, not the highest score you can shoot and kind of snap back into tournament mode there for a little while and and breeze through from there. But just crazy. I mean, it would be a great reality show watching people who are playing for their livelihood and, and, you know, battling the mental demons of, Knowing that every bogey hurts you that much and you know, you're just you're just ticking them off in your head going I can make X amount and that's one less and that's one less and that's one less, but Probably the weirdest 36 hole Mm -hmm. tournament. I've ever played in my life. That's for sure
1: I know a few guys who go out with a number in their head and uh, and that number is three digits long and they're always trying to beat (laughs) it so uh,
0: Maybe there's a little bit of psychology in there for you. Not the exact
1: same thing. Oh the lights are on (laughs) I can't, I couldn't see anything, but yeah. Um, yeah. So probably a different story. Uh, but I guess, I guess at that point you being a rep or a lot of reps have their PGA or it's not until you go to a, a course in a teaching, uh, role that you probably get
2: that, uh, PGA, uh, you know, certification. Yeah. It's, it's very, very sporadic. I think some guys do that maybe have come from the club world. Um, I find, you know, I'm a unique case in the sense of I've worked in the golf industry for 24 years uh, and I've never worked a day in my life for a golf club. I've been completely Mm -hmm. on the industry side. I started, we were talking about Rebel Golf Center in 2000 and the Caddy Shed in 2002 and TaylorMade in 2008 and PXG in 2018 and Modern Golf in 2021. And and so it's a weird thing. And, And over the past number of years, the PGA has made it a little bit more accessible for people outside of the green grass side of the business to actually join the PGA, which is wonderful because I think one of the great things about what I do for a living is show people who love golf, that there is more than, you know, you guys listening to the pod and you guys talking about, you know, getting to the city at 5.00 AM to open up and stay there till 1130 at night and then round the corner and be back at 5.00 AM the next morning. And, that's one side of the industry, but there is a nine to five side of it too. And, uh, you know, a different side of it that the PJ is becoming more accessible to as well. And I think for people who love the industry and want to give back to the industry and want to be a part of it, uh, it's awesome to be a member of the organization, but a lot more accessible now than it ever used to be.
0: That is a very unique path within the, within golf, especially on the industry side. And to bring it full circle, it makes sense. You put in that little nugget, mentioned that little nugget about how when you were on the range, you're talking about guys, driver specs, spin rates. And was that a time when you were doing that, when you were playing professionally on those mini tours where some of those, I would say, specs or data was really starting to to come to fruition?
2: Yeah, completely. And I, I mean, I loved equipment forever. I mean, I remember when I was a kid getting, you know, I was on the mailing list for Edwin Watts and they'd send you the actual, you know, physical golf sales magazine. And you could have all the Callaway product and Mizuno product and Titleist product. And I'd go page by page. And I, oh, my dream set on this page is the Mizuno <laughs> t driver and the Titleist 962 irons. And, and then as the internet started coming more prominent, then it was golf opinions and bomb squad golf and all of these websites where everyone had all this cool stuff. And so I was always fascinated by that stuff guys like Rob Spears and Dave Michaleski and Kurt Shirley, we were always buying random crap and trading it amongst one another. And and I just loved it, you know, and I, and I loved equipment and I had to have the newest stuff and the coolest stuff. And I would scour eBay for random, you know, tour issue rare things and all these other things and save up my money from the shed and try to buy it. Or someone would trade something in at the shed and I'd buy it and resell it. And um, so I just loved the gear, you know, and then, when I started kind of playing a lot more than track man and those types of things were starting to come to, to prominence. And that was fascinating and, um, I love the golf swing and love teaching. So it all just kind of worked, you know, and, and even 2000, when I started working at rebel golf center, you know, Derek Brown and Rob Spears and the guys that I got to work with, they, you know, we had very, very basic launch monitors and, we were doing all custom club building, So I got to learn how to build clubs at, you know, 15 or 16 years old. So yeah, just, just loved all that stuff. And, and very fortunate to have made it a career kind of, uh, you know, working on that side of the industry now.
1: And then, uh, from Taylor made, how did you get into PXG? Because that was something that I, I, I found exciting, uh, I, as I'm, a you know, a, a patron of the brand, but. Ah, uh, true.
2: Very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Funny. Uh, when I was at TaylorMade, so my job at TaylorMade, I I first went out there as a club fitter and we had a fitting facility at Glen Abbey. And through my time out there, I had gone from sort of being a fitter at that facility to managing our custom operations in Canada. And so I was handling all, you know, the tech reps and the performance labs and the demo days. And, you know, so I was kind of managing all that. Um, and there was a number of people who had worked for TaylorMade who had, ultimately started with PXG in 2014 and 2015. And when they started talking about Canada, I had worked with some of these guys just, you know, in sales meetings and global calls and all these other things. And one of them called me up and said, you know, we've been talking about coming up to Canada and you know, we know you and we know that know what you're talking about, or I'd fooled them into believing I knew what I was talking about enough that Uh they said, would this interest you? And um, I got to go down to Scottsdale where their head office was, and I got to meet everybody and, you know, interview for, for a role. Um, did you, um, uh, did you meet Bob, Bob Parsons? I have met, I have met Mr. Parsons a number of times. Oh, he is wow. uh, honestly one of the, one of the truly incredible people in the world. One of the most fascinating things for working for PXG actually was getting to interact with Mr. Parsons. And, uh, I've seen him bring a grown, you know, a group of grown men to tears with how passionate he is about things. I've seen him scared the living shit out of other people with uh, the, the the Bob Parsons military voice. Tremendous human being, really, really, really cool person. Um, his wife is amazing. It was a really wonderful brand to work with. And that was what was so exciting. And uh, just the thought of, you know, being the first employee on the ground in the country and kind of getting to shake the, the brand and, and build it from kind of, square one was, was pretty enticing and pretty interesting and uh, kind of too cool to pass up at, at the time for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It certainly seems like
1: a, a different brand uh, compared to the, you know, I don't know, the big three or whatever, you know, Taylor made Titleist. title list uh, it's certainly a different uh, uh, image to it, if you
2: will. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's, it's Bob's vision of golf and, and, it's loud. It's in your face. It's, you know, kind of cut no corners, take no prisoners, if you will. And, um, phenomenal product. They make really, really Mm. great product. I mean, even in my, my role with modern golf now, we're still massive PXG account. And, you know, we've got an events with them actually this Friday, where we're bringing them in at a bunch of our locations across the country to do some, you know, some sales and some demo and fitting products. And, uh, it's, it's an awesome brand. I mean, I don't think enough people probably give it, it's just, you know, it's, 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 credit for how good the product really is and i don't think a lot of people even
1: know about the brand at least in manitoba i mean if you're really into golf you know it but like so i purchased a pxg putter a couple of years ago and people are like oh i've never heard of that i was like oh well, yeah, pxg what's that oh, parsons extreme golf uh, i don't know what the hell is that like whatever what did you get but there was only two reps in canada there was one in vancouver and one in toronto and the guy in vancouver yeah he, he took care of all of western canada which i guess manitoba was was in so you know i called him i ordered it through scottsdale and it kind of got yep. shipped up to me but you know he may have somehow it rooted through uh, vancouver but it yeah. so was, that so that was, so that was made in and scottsdale. That my
2: right exactly right so my counterpart so i was hired and then to sort of manage the east uh, and Will Norton was hired to sort of manage the West. Mm-hmm. We had one rule. We, we had one rule and that was never be in Winnipeg at the same time. That was our only, uh, <laughs> so, you know, we So were, no we one were... ever went to Winnipeg, maybe. <laughs> I did one time. I kid you not, Mike. I, I, I jumped in the truck. We had, I don't know if you have ever seen the big PHG truck. Uh, I saw I had, the van. These yes, these, it's a nice van. Yeah, the, the, the big Ford Sprinters and I drove over the Great Lakes. I had to go mm-hmm. north. I couldn't go south because I couldn't go through the U.S. And I did. This would have been probably 2018. It was 24 hours to get there. Had to sleep in, Oof. Lord knows where, Northern Ontario, Thunder, yeah. um, Thunder Bay, I or did, I, yeah, exactly right. And uh, and I did demo days at St. Charles, Niaqua, Pine Ridge, um, and then turned around and drove home and. Uh, but you're right. The most amazing thing was, was I, when I took the brand on again, being a golf nerd and being a, you know, very in tune with the golf equipment, I thought I was going to be show up everywhere and people were banging down the door. But the number one question for the first two years was what's PXG. And it was really neat to just kind of go to facilities and throw a tent in the ground and set up our demo setup and just introduce the brand to people. Cause you're exactly right. People had no idea. And, you know, usually only took a few swings for people to kind of go holy smokes this is really good at the time the sets were you know seven eight nine ten thousand dollars a set so it was a very right. very different price point than it is now but
1: pocket change for me and jr obviously absolutely I'm, I'm actually shocked Matt you Meshushiki. guys didn't buy
2: multiple sets from me big, that's big right? podcast <laughs> money
1: yeah we invested well with price so uh, um so i wanted to let you know what i purchased so it was a it was a mid mallet lucky d gen two i didn't get fitted for it so I what just did, what it. date was
2: that? I was I uh, do have a date. You were no name?
1: will, I think Will, like this was only two years ago. So this is okay, probably okay. 21. But uh so it okay. might have been if
2: it was 20, that would have been he would have technically sniped one of my sales. he know, only permission <laughs> on my I actually I to, talked
1: <laughs> I did talk to Will. Um but yeah, I, I I now after doing this podcast, I know that it's probably not the best uh idea just to buy a putter off of Look on the internet, and uh, there were so many different specs to it where I was just kind of guessing. Uh, uh, and now we know that we should get fitted for our putters. There
2: you go. Well, the question is, though, do you putt well with it? That's the if you putt well with it, then you know, might lucky,
1: but well, I don't, I, I putt better than I did. Uh, I had a, a beautiful 25 dollars putter from Canadian Tire that I used for like. 12 years. Uh, and then I said, you know what, I'm going to go all out. I'll spend the money, you know, uh, in whatever it was over $450 probably going to yep. got a Scotty or whatever else. But I said, you know what, I'm going to get a PXG more. So the brand, the, you know, I'm a sucker for some good advertising, you know? Yep. Uh, I don't really need to see all the details on the track, man, and all that. Just give me a good ad campaign, and I'll buy it. Um, well, Mr.
2: Mister Parsons is full of them. I mean, right? go right back he to sold the original GoDaddy yeah. go ad campaigns and, uh, and uh, screaming and yelling at you on the PXG commercials now. He knows what he's doing.
1: I thought maybe I'd have a chance to play at Scottsdale National. If
2: you ever get the chance to, it's worth it. Let me tell you, it's, uh, uh, it, that is it, a very special place have you got the chance to play at Scotts? I have. So, I, I played it uh, three times, I think, which was, wow. which was incredible. So um, Mr. Parsons, like I say, incredible human being. And, and he took very good care of the people that worked for him. So we would have, you know, company events and sales meetings and things. And uh, the red carpet was always rolled out to say the least incredible place. Yeah, it was, wow. it's, it's very, very special.
1: Look forward to meeting Bob. Uh, me and JR will, will join you down there next time. And, and you can uh, get
2: him on the pod. I'll tell you what. That <laughs> would be
1: a good one. You guys
2: would. Uh, we'll do it you live. think I talk a lot.
1: That's JR, great. I just want to geek out on one more PXG thing. Mm-hmm. I know uh, the PXG ball. Have you played the ball yet? I've, I have.
2: I yeah. have. So, Nick Keeler. So, shout out to Nick. Nick is the new sales rep. He took over from me when I left. Uh, He was good enough to get me a dozen right before I went away earlier this year and uh, nearly made an ace with it on the second round I played with it, which would have been breaking a 26 year slide, but um, it's great, actually very, very good. And they've done a good job with it. I mean, it's, it's not for everyone as it's only one golf ball, but I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, I'm not going to spoil the lightning round and let in what golf ball I do play, uh, but it's pretty damn close to finding its way into the uh, the number one spot for sure. It's really good.
1: That's cool. Yeah, we can't find them in Winnipeg. Like I don't think there's any retailers that actually uh, sell them.
2: Uh, yeah, it's mail mail order only right now. I mean, they've made such a shift in their yeah. business to direct to consumer and you know using their online sales and things but it's good price i mean 58 bucks i think now it's not like i'm working for them again but no free ads right but no uh, kidding well they i know, mean 58 if, uh, bucks, i think and they and free shipping if you buy three or something it's 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 worth it's worth you know the price of two dozen probably ones for three dozen. Maybe, really uh, maybe
1: the new rep there wants to throw a few shekels our way and we I'll, can, uh, we can <laughs> pump
2: pxg all day he's a good he's a good pal so you know, i was I'll, uh, uh Marshall keeps saying he's going to bring you guys those left dashes, but All I might right. have to beat him to the punch and send you some PXGs. No, right?
1: I'm not, I'm not holding my breath on Marshall there. But uh, I, I did buy some PX. I bought one sleeve. I was down in Grand Forks, and uh, they have a shop there that does PXG fitting. And they, they had the balls, and I, uh, whatever, it was like twelve. It was, no, it was like fifteen dollars, not American, for like three balls. I gave one to a buddy. I played one. Uh, the other day at a Cinnaboy, uh-huh. I was like, okay, this is a part three. I'll hit it here. You know, uh, it was, it was, it was okay. Like it was straight. It was a little bit short. And it's like, this how sweet would it be if I got a hole in one the first time trying a PXD, uh, hole, whatever, you know, four at the bones, hole five, uh, which is, which is a terrible hole for me. And yeah, uh, Big left to right <laughs> and all on the right hand side is out of bounds. <laughs> you can, you can guess what happened. So yeah, if, yeah. if you're looking for a good, like $6 Canadian ball, go looking around the, uh, whole five there of the bone is the Royal, the bike trail,
2: the, bike trail. the logo, the logo's big enough on that ball. It'll be oh, yeah. So, so if a, you want
1: to, yeah. you want to make a few, a quick buck, go look for that PXG ball that I sliced into the woods, um, uh, so we won't blame that on the ball. I have seen the uh My SPY data on it. And they said it was, you know, comparable to the Pro V ones. It was like in between Pro V1 and Pro V1X as part of distances, but I'm sure there's a lot more uh variables there for for people. But uh anyways, yeah, great brand. Uh I think I just love BXG because it's it's different and nobody has it, you know
2: yeah, and I think that's that's a cool a cool feature for for sure and and they make great stuff. you know, they really don't put out bad product and uh, the price points are excellent nowadays. We're a little cheaper than a lot of the major brands in some cases and uh, and continuously getting better. So I think it'll be here to stay for a long time.
0: Well, there will. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there is a, another anecdote I can throw in there as well, I forgot to mention it, but at uh, the Southwood match place, so my first round there, Mike, when mm-hmm. uh, I was playing, Duncan Turner, who I was playing with, he's got PXG clubs, and he was playing the PXG ball. Wow! Shout what? out to Duncan. Yeah, still not enough to beat me though.
1: <laughs> no, but you were—you were, you were just—I <laughs> was on fire. Yeah. Well, okay. you I said you said front you front weren't put. You said you weren't putting out any mental warfare, but it, you was probably very subtle. You're, you're like, oh, Duncan, I played with your dad earlier. You know, he said uh, this and that, and then you then you got in his head. I think.
0: I could have. Well, you know, young kids, they put a lot of pressure on themselves. You know how it goes. I was a young kid once, too. I knew saying nothing was probably the best thing to say when it came to that.
1: <laughs> I only learned that later in life.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Experience. It comes with experience. Yeah. Uh, and, well, um, experience on the on the fitting end. It's so interesting to see how you kind of started maybe around the, the beginning of really when this started taking off a of club fitting. Mike brought up Bryce Malashewski. mentioned probably one of the best club fitters you know, on the continent, was that something that you were always like, maybe you grew up with or did it just come naturally to you a little bit later on in life when you got into the game a bit more?
2: I mean, I, like I said, I always loved equipment and I always loved learning about equipment and, and the golf swing. And I think those two things, if you know them both, it, it makes a lot more sense. And it was something that, you know, as I say, my first job ever, 15 years old at rebel golf center, that's what I started learning was club fitting. Um, when I went to the caddy shed, you know, Keatsy was amazing and, and Wardo and, and Ronnie to let me do a lot of fitting. So I was kind of a, a fitting guy, started to work for TaylorMade, you know, and, and it just, it just passionate about it. And and I just got more and more involved in it. And I, you know, loved trying to figure out things and I loved working with people, which was, as I say, a terrible thing when you want to be, you know trying to beat the shit out of everybody and play better than them in <laughs> competitive golf. Um, but when you actually just really enjoy being with people and helping them, you know, I was kind of like to say, forget club fitter, forget golf pro, just call me golf enjoyment expert. As far as my, you know, I'd love that on my business card more than anything. I just, just kept trying to figure it out and love learning more about equipment and how stuff worked and different products and different shafts and understanding the physics of it all. And I think being, a decent player helped that as well because you could relate to people and what they were going through in their golf game as well. And so when you can speak to somebody on the same level, whether they're, you know, I've been crazily enough, fortunate enough to spend time with Dustin Johnson and Jason day and Bryson DeChambeau and people who never in a million years would I have thought I would have had a chance to work with just right place, right time, Canadian opens and and what have you. But understand what they're saying and then be able to kind of, you know, relate that back to people who are struggling to break a hundred or getting fit for the first time or learning to play golf. Um, you know, when you, when you focus on just trying to kind of help them do what they're trying to do or or achieve what they're trying to achieve and kind of put yourself in their shoes as best you can, you you pick on one, I guess, fairly quick, but, um, just love it. You know, it sounds such a, such a nerdy answer, I guess, but, I just love gear and I love the golf swing and I love physics and I love club fitting. And, uh, that's, that's, I guess how we end up here.
0: Well now at, at modern golf. So what, did you get a, an offer from them to, to join them? I guess first and foremost, what is modern golf? Cause we don't have so modern
2: golf is, yeah. So modern golf is, is Canada's largest independent golf club retailer. Um, we've got 10 locations now across the country, basically, uh, two in Vancouver, well, one in Vancouver, one in Langley, one in Calgary, Oakville, Mississauga, two in Mississauga, one in downtown Toronto, one in Ajax, one in Vaughn, one mm-hmm. in Halifax, um, quite a, quite a foray across the country. And I call us golf development facilities. And, and what I mean by that is it's not just club fitting. Um, club fitting is a, a portion of what we do, but, you know, being in a seasonal, industry and being in a climate that doesn't really lend itself to playing golf 12 months of the year, we've started to grow into a lot more than just club fitting where we have uh, lessons, we have virtual golf, we have leagues, we have practice opportunities. So kind of if you want to get better at golf and you want to do it indoors, we've got something for you. And so um, they were a huge client of mine, obviously, when I was with PXG and some of, you know, my friends were working there and I just kind of started talking with them and they said, Hey, we'd love to entertain the thought of you coming over and doing your thing here and helping us develop and grow and, and, um, establish a a larger footprint in the country. And I was being run pretty ragged on the road with PhD. We were, as, as Mike mentioned, there was two of us. Um, there was myself in the East and will in the West. And I was, as I say, just trying to cover Manitoba to the Maritimes and everywhere in between. And, didn't didn't feel like the growth was going to be there in a way that was conducive to what I was hoping for as as a career move. Um, and modern was a really, really exciting and and is a really, really exciting opportunity for me to kind of continue to plant my flag in the Canadian golf industry. I guess is the best way to describe it.
0: So we can come down and see you there. Are you actually doing club fittings yourself still too or no?
2: I still do. I mean, it's still uh it's a drug, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still love getting in there and, and I still do a good amount of teaching, um, club fitting, that kind of thing. Even today I had a club fitting early in the day and then a couple lessons throughout the day. So, um, still like to scratch the itch and get in there and do that, but, uh, really do love, you know trying to help share some of the really great experiences and the and the really cool experiences that I've had with the next generation of people as well so um being out on the front lines isn't the major focus but uh helping kind of cultivate the growth of the of the industry going forward and hoping that more people get the same opportunities that I do is a, is a key focus in mind for sure
1: I uh I really enjoyed the um the drive to 300 yards with Mike Arsenal. No uh, you saw that, did you? It's uh, we we know how to work the Google machine, and uh, yeah, that <laughs> that popped up. So I watched a few episodes of that, and that was that was pretty entertaining. So for the listeners, it was you know I I guess a kind of a, a little series that you did with a, a reporter from i'm assuming toronto global news or area news and uh he was trying to improve his game and, and trying to get to 300 yard drives and uh and you're helping him and giving him tips throughout
2: yeah yeah that's that's crazy you found that actually so that was one of the first i started in december of 2020 at modern and they said hey we have this opportunity. Do you want to do it? And I thought, well, I don't mind embarrassing myself on camera. So sure. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mike, Mike's an awesome guy and he was, so he, he did some stuff with global news their weekend morning show. Um, and I didn't really know what it was at the time. I just said, yeah, let's do it. And and then come to find out that not only was it broadcast online, but it was on, um, all their streaming services and it was a national Mm -hmm. thing. Um, so yeah, we did a, a 12 part year long series that was effectively Mike's attempt to uh, learn the golf game and get a little bit more involved in the game. And uh, he was a super athletic dude. He came in, you know, as a former collegiate pitcher and a really, really talented guy and um, didn't have a ton of golf skill, um, mm-hmm. but super athletic. So, think we got him to 300 yards by about august and uh you know he's still he's breaking 80 now and playing some really good golf so um yeah a really cool thing to be a part of that was that was a ton of fun and uh kind of neat to be able to see that and go back and take a look at it every once in a while
1: i had just watched the the final segment uh today or uh, last night and you played mike at saint george's golf and country club yes yeah and you gave him a stroke per hole so uh uh, i i don't I, I actually i didn't get to actually finish, so I think you still snuck it out on him
2: uh, he beat, i beat him i beat him in match play, but he actually beat me in stroke play he made okay. about a 10 footer I birdied the eighteenth hole actually, and he made an awesome par like way cooler than my birdie was was Mike grinding out this par and he made about a 10 or 15 footer on the last hole to actually beat me. Stroke play. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the the student beat the teacher, which uh, which awesome. I guess was the culmination of the series, the way that it should have been. Yeah. I, I tried my best not to let up on him, but. He got me. So
1: well, if you can battle through some of the ads on global news, uh, online there, <laughs> then, uh, you can probably watch the full segment. I, there's a few of them on YouTube as well, but, uh, yeah, it was some great tips, uh, you know, even just playing of the bunker and playing in different situations. Uh, so I, I enjoyed watching that.
2: Awesome. Well, I'm glad you found that. That was, that was fun. Really fun to do.
0: Even on that note, how much golf do you actually get to play now?
2: uh radically you know it, it it never feels like enough and then by the end of the year you kind of total it up and go eh, it wasn't that bad but i think i've played six times this year maybe um that sounds about right so a little bit I, I find i play a little bit more kind of you know july onward once the our busy season kind of runs through the end of june with you know, tons of club fitting and just tons of things on the go. And so there's that little lull period where everybody else is on the golf course. So I figure I might as well try to get out there a little bit myself. So kind of once Canada hits Canada day hits, I look forward to getting out and playing a little bit more from there. So
0: I had uh, one little question, maybe not a little question around the club fitting process and seeing as, you know, we don't have any modern golf here, but is there one question if say, you know, Mike or I, or, some listening to this pod is going to a club fitting. Is there one question to ask, or I guess there's probably a multitude of questions asked, but is there one really key question to ask when getting fit?
2: Good question. Um, I would say if you ask the fitter, are they the two words I like to use when I'm training and, and talking to people is, are they compensating for what you do poorly or are they complimenting what you do well? And the reason why I say that is that a lot of fitters kind of learn tips and tricks just to get you to hit a couple good golf shots. And then, Oh, that's the right one for you. You should buy that one. Um, an experienced fitter and a fitter who really knows what they're doing will make you hit it the best you can possibly hit it, but also uh, allow for room for growth and development. And I think a lot of people always question, well, if I get fit for clubs and I change my swing, will that change my fit? And in a lot of cases, the answer to that, the answer should be no. But I think that a lot of people kind of trick up the golf club a little bit to make something happen. And you start to develop a habit of making less than ideal swings to get better than ideal results. And you just ingrain bad habits from there. And then trying to make swing changes is difficult and trying to learn to continue to develop is difficult and you might see a three or five shot improvement pretty quickly, but you plateau from there. Um, when a fitter is working with you and working with what you bring to the table and working with, um, you know, the things to, to that you do well and consistent and everybody does things consistently. I think most people don't believe that, um, consistent can mean bad, but consistent does exist in almost every golf swing. When you work with those pieces and you try to create the most consistent opportunities for somebody to play golf um, they're going to improve a lot faster so it's it's the answer to the question of do i have to be good to get fit it's like asking do i have to be attractive to wear clothes that fit no um chances are the uglier you are the better you'll look in clothes that fit so in a lot of cases the worse your golf game is uh the more fitting will help you quite truthfully and it's it's a big part of it but the the one thing i think more than anything is just when people get golf equipment and they're unhappy with it more often than not, the fitter has tried to compensate for a deficiency, uh, rather than complement the consistencies. And, and I think that's a, um, a really key part of it.
1: It, it. You talked, you, you made the, the correlation of, of clothing and, and our friend Bryce is a fashionista and very fashionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, it, like golf and in like, clothing i'm i'm a little bit frugal so would you uh you know what if i came to you and said oh you know i got these clothes but i uh, you know i don't want to buy new clothes to look nicer i want to get my existing clothes hemmed and fitted uh obviously i'm talking about my existing golf clubs <laughs> <laughs> this, was, yeah, retro. this is way out of field, but like <laughs> this is terrible but um you know you know is it i always like you made a great point okay i always thought oh i need to fix my swing before i get fitted but that's not the case and i there's actually a quote from you and it it said exactly what you just said you know 98 percent of the time we fit people and then fix their swing and two percent of the people will have to get refitted I was like, okay, well, that's good news for me. Uh, I should get fitted, but I kind of like my irons now. Maybe I should just get fitted to my, my tailor-made M4s. No free ads, Uh, PXG still looking to get sponsored, Uh, you know, can still get fitted to my, my lucky D putter, Uh, you know, you know, is there, there's nothing wrong with getting fitted to, to an old, old set of irons, old set
2: of, you know, a driver or those types of things. No, there's definitely things that always can be done. Um, At some point, there's a bit of a diminishing return to that because if you need new shafts and clubs or you need something major done, um, that can incur costs that, in some cases, you could probably sell your old ones and buy new clubs for the same amount. Um, But there's always things that can be done. Length adjustments, grip size adjustments, line-angle adjustments. You know, metalwoods nowadays, most drivers have, you know, four to... 16 adjustments that can be made on the hosel by unscrewing the head and moving it around that that little change with a lie angle or a loft or a face angle position can can totally change a driver for somebody um those things are massive right and those things you know when you talk about hemming an existing pair of pants or something um that's exactly the way i describe it i always kind of tell people like like the lie angle is basically the inseam in your pants right i'm five Mm -hmm. foot eight you might be five foot eight but that doesn't necessarily mean we have the same inseam or need the same line or the same length of golf club. And all of those little things, it all kind of correlates back to hitting the golf ball solidly and, and making a good golf swing. Mm-hmm. Um, so those little adjustments can be huge. I mean, you know, a degree of line goal, I'm probably off on my numbers here, but one degree off on a line goal can be, you know, three yards off line for every hundred yards the golf ball travels. So, if you're hitting a five iron and your line goes or two degrees off, you could be hitting that thing, you know, five to 10 yards offline because the line goes incorrect. And some people will say, Oh, that's a gimmick or that's this, or that's that. But you'd be shocked when you use a TrackMan or a GC quad or, you know, something, and you see how consistent people deliver the club. Um, Mm -hmm. Those things make a huge difference. So there's, there's definitely a retrofitting aspect that exists. And um, Mm -hmm. people who have a current set of golf clubs that they really like, but would love to, make them maybe even that much better there's there's no question that retrofitting can be very helpful for that
1: yeah yeah and and, uh, believe it or not you're not the first person to say that that we've interviewed and i i keep trying to get jr to bring on somebody that's This says uh, club fittings of a farce you know you don't gotta do that
2: get my old man on the on the podcast here (laughs) there was a weird switch about 15 years ago where i was stealing all his clubs and then one day he started stealing all of mine but you know we still never come for a fitting in all these years but uh, it sounds like uh
1: it sounds like we should get fit and the other thing that i read uh, that i thought was interesting was based on grip and you kind of mentioned that where I thought that was more, uh, you know, you go to the golf town or we don't have a modern golf yet. Maybe me, me and Jordan will start one in the Winnipeg now area. You talking? <laughs> uh We got all that podcast money, uh, you know, but we can reinvest our money with Bryce.
0: The back nine lightning round, and it was for Bryce Matt who is who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Bryce at 204-515-3446. And we got all his info in our link tree. Just go to our social medias, click on our bio, and away you go. You'll see his beautiful face, first link in the link tree.
1: And uh, and we, got, we mentioned last episode on our uh, U.S. Open preview, we got a nice tip uh, on our link tree. So, uh, you know, give us a tip and we'll reinvest that with Bryce and then we'll be uh, buying a modern golf franchise in no time.
0: Yeah, thanks to Roger, also a St. Charles member now.
1: Oh yes. Thank you, Roger. Uh Stu, you you are probably one of our our biggest fans uh that we've had on, I would say, because you seem like you know the show. Uh so the first question I always ask is you got a nickname.
2: Uh it it well, you've hit it about fourteen times today. It's Stu. I think that's the <laughs> that, that most commonly none of my friends were creative enough to come up with much more than that, but uh I would say it's, yeah, I would say probably most commonly it's stew and nothing more creative than that one, unfortunately. Well, I think we could, we could, uh, come up with
1: something. I'm not sure. Stew B or banana time or. I'm not that, sure. Yeah. I've
2: got them all <laughs> growing up, but the only one that stuck seemed to be stew. So my dad used well, to call me stew Bob. So all my friends that once my dad, they heard my dad call me that stew Bob sort of stuck, but that's, uh, seems more. You know, plus I like
1: I like Stu Bob too. That's good. Uh, have you ever got a hole in one?
2: One, yeah, one on the fourth hole of the West Nine at St. Charles in uh, nineteen ninety seven. Um, so <laughs> it's a long time ago. I'm trying to try to break that streak.
1: <laughs> well, you almost came close, right, with the PFC ball there. Yes, uh, that one uh, too close. That uh, was heartbreaking. And, and the West Nine is is the woods.
2: Uh, correct. Pardon me. Yes, you're right. Yeah, don't No.
1: I've only played it once, so I, I know North, South, West, and and uh, Mackenzie, uh, Woods, and uh, what's that other Ross. little Ross that other yeah. guy <laughs> who made some courses? I, I forget his name, but uh, well, hopefully the Mackenzie's open soon. But uh, Woods, I've never played the Woods Nine. I've heard it's I've heard some people like it, some people don't like it, but I don't see how you can ever not like a golf course. but
2: underrated underrated doesn't have the the luster of the mckenzie or the ross but uh really good shots in its own right and uh all good for sure
1: yeah you think those guys were ever in a room together that would be kind of funny and like he'd be trying to get a word in in a conversation and those guys are just going back and
2: forth and uh yeah you would you would shut up and listen in that crew if you ever got to sit in that table <laughs> even i would and that says a lot
1: yeah i might too um <laughs> You gotta. We kind of went over this. You got a preferred golf ball brand.
2: So and yeah. All. So the the mythical Pro V1X Left Dash has been uh, oh. in my bag for for a couple they're, years now. They're making their um, way into
1: Ontario, but not into Manitoba. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's uh, I played TaylorMade for a very long time. Um, obviously working for the brand, but hadn't played a Titleist ball in a long time. Left Dash is awesome, and uh, and the PXG is making a strong case to. Maybe, maybe take it over one of these days, but left dash is pretty damn good.
1: And, and is that a feel thing or a distance thing? I mean, I think we've talked about this in a few previous episodes, but what, what brings you to the dash?
2: A little of both for me. I, I hit it a little bit farther than some of the other balls. Um, and I really like the feel of it. I, I, as weird as it is to say, didn't like the feel of the pro V1. uh just didn't feel like what I was used to and the left dash just kind of checked off all the boxes. So not as easy to come by. It's a, it's a tricky ball to find, but I don't play enough golf to, uh, to need too many of them. So, um, they've been, they've been good. Really, really
1: quite like it. You just buy like one sleeve per season and that's, that's <laughs>
2: good. <laughs> yeah. If you saw the way I drive it, you'd, you'd understand that's not true, but, uh, you can't lose that many when you only play every couple of weeks. Yeah,
0: you still drive like a Winnipegger.
1: That's right. How many how many rounds can you play a ball without you losing? Uh, you know, like in a situation where you know uh, you play a ball and you never lose it. How many rounds? You know, until depends you gotta on the ball.
2: retire it. Yeah, depends on the ball. Um, as crazy as it sounds, I've heard as low as seventy-two driver hits will, which is four rounds of golf. I mean, don't you know? Okay. It 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 will crack internally before it cracks externally, um, but probably less than you think. And so, you know, it, some people say, oh, "I've been playing this ball for five or six rounds, and it's a badge of honor." Uh, it is, but chances are the golf ball's broken on the inside. So, right, it's a um, probably less than you think. Oddly enough, that was a fascinating thing I got to learn when I worked for Taylor TaylorMade and I was chatting with our ball guys. They said you know, in and around probably about 70 to hundred driver hits. It's probably broken on the inside.
1: Well, I'm, I'm usually broken on the inside after 18 holes. So. <laughs> <laughs> you love, you love that one out. Uh That's good. Good to know. And I think I've been playing a little bit of the Kirkland's uh because they were cheap. And I think those are, those are probably about 27 holes and then they're, their uh their shot but uh still a decent if you can if i can keep a kirkland for 27 holes i'm happy with that well, that's the uh, thing if
2: you use it for 18 on its own it's probably worth retiring just for sentimental value <laughs> so uh,
1: obviously you're based in ontario but we're out of manitoba you got a favorite course to play in manitoba
2: easy answer st charles i mean it's my favorite place on earth um Competitively, I adore Elmhurst. Uh, I think Elmhurst is is tremendous. Um, mm-hmm. My grandfather was a member there for a long time, got to play it a ton, got to play some great tournaments at that course. Um, yeah, I, I love Elmhurst. I think Elmhurst is fantastic. St. Charles means a lot, and it's very, it's home, but uh, if I could only come back and play one round somewhere, would be hard-pressed not to say only.
1: No, certainly not the first to say that, and I've actually never been out there yet. Uh, we still got to get out there and play the, the butterball championship,
0: right? With uh, Jordy and Jack, the butterball championship, we got to get out there and do it,
1: Jordy Lutz. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll to certainly get out there. I, I guess quickly, what's your go to uh, in Ontario?
2: Uh, the course i played the most is probably Glen Abbey. Um, we we're fortunate with such great golf out here. My, I was going to say, if I could only play one place for the rest of my life, it would be Toronto golf club. Uh, if I could only play one round, it would be the national golf club of Canada. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't, all three of those are like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. I mean, Glen Abbey is, 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 is certainly Canada's home course almost. And that's where golf Canada is headquartered. Uh, and then, you know, the national golf club of Canada has come up a few times on this golf course or on this, on the show. And as being very exclusive and like the number one to play. And I know they've, I think they've had a Canadian open at Toronto golf and country club too. uh, If I'm
2: not mistaken, but it's right on the, uh, on the lake there. Very close. Yeah. Very close to the lake down in, in, in what would be considered Etobicoke, um, just sort of West of Toronto. But unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. unbelievable, absolutely incredible. Um, two very different golf courses. The national just punches you in the gut from the first team till the 18th green, but you you actually enjoy it. Um, Toronto is just amazing as well. So we're, we're very fortunate and the list is so long of great golf courses out here. Mm. Uh, but those two, in my opinion, stand kind of head and shoulders above the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure once you get in the, Muskoka area and Bracebridge you know that way I'm sure it gets pretty beautiful yeah totally different golf and and incredible just same actually just got to play Taboo on uh, Saturday this past week my my uh, wife's family has a condo up there Um, and we went and played her dad and I went and played which was awesome and her brother and uh, Mm. totally different golf I mean not unlike Granite Hills and you know getting into the shield and getting into some of that rocky stuff Mm. but uh, awesome very very cool well, we'll have to dig into that
1: on, uh, on part two of the interview with Stu, <laughs> whenever that is. Part but, two with Stu. Yeah. Part two is Stu. Uh bucket list course in Manitoba that you've never played, but would like to get to.
2: So the two that stand out off the top of my head, one is Southwood. I've actually never played the new Southwood. Um, kind of was out of Manitoba by the time that came up. And, and I've never heard a bad thing about Oak Island. Um, I know you guys talk about it on the pod a lot. And I, I think I've checked off pretty much every other one of them, uh, but the new Southwood I've yet to play. And, uh, and I've heard amazing things about O'Connor and just the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you'll
1: have to, if you're, if you're coming in for a visit and Jr. can, can host you at a uh, and, and I can hang on his uh, tailcoats or what do you what do you call those things? Tail feathers? Uh, I don't know. T- tail tail feathers. Anyways, <laughs> I'll pay my own way too. But uh, we, it's a beautiful course. I love the New Southwood. I never played the Old Southwood. I always saw it from the road or whenever you're driving through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looked beautiful, but yeah, New Southwood is uh, is slowly growing on me. But
0: well, um, you seem to play well every time you play there, so that's maybe why.
1: <laughs> that's a good sign. That's a yeah. good thing. <laughs> Mhm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. Um Uh what would be the most memorable course you've ever played? And I imagine I don't know, I imagine you've played a few notable courses. I've played some cool ones,
2: but the one I would say probably sticks out the most is Tobacco Road. Um Pinehurst just outside of Pinehurst. Um probably the most fun you can have on a golf course anywhere. It it's, I have played it a few different times now. Um, unbelievable. Just, you know, it's like golf on acid. Uh, Mike strands, what he did there is incredible and, uh, so many different experiences and things and memorable, you know, memorable shots and holes, um, easily the most fun golf course you could ever play. Uh, so yeah. worth it if you're ever down there you know, so much great golf in Pinehurst, but, but tobacco stands out as an absolute can't miss. And, you know, it's public. You can just book a tee time and go play. And it's, it's, it's incredible.
1: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, I've played golf on acid. Wasn't a good time, but I imagine uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just kidding, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I got the analogy. It seems of- <laughs> like
0: you are sometimes.
1: <laughs> Just, well, you know, tune in here for a few holes, tune out and then, uh, start licking the ball and all that stuff, but, um, Shuffle your feet a few more times. Yeah. 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 Shout out to Milzy for, yeah. for, for beacon me on the t box. Uh, oh yeah. There's a lot, a lot of things going through in my mind, but I'm, uh, I'm not, you may think it, but I'm not on any, uh, hard drugs <laughs> at that, at that point. And, uh, but Tobacco Road, yeah, well, let's get out there. So yeah,
2: even better than Pinehurst, would you say? or uh, You know what, I, I haven't played Pinehurst number two since the redesign. Um, Pinehurst, I got to play there in 04, 05 with my dad, and uh, phenomenal. Tobacco is just so hard to describe. It is so unique and so different and so fun. And I think that, is what stands out. I was there on a bachelor party a few years ago with a whole bunch of golfers of all different skill levels and everyone had an amazing time. Everybody was just, you know, raving about how much fun they had. And I think that's what, what is the best. And so yeah. we have yeah. guys that are trying to break par guys who are trying to break a hundred and they all love it. I think that that says a lot about the quality of a golf course. Certainly. Yeah. And then, yeah,
1: I, I think that's where we've kind of, molded this question is is a, a memorable golf course and some people will say their backyard golf course because they're playing with their buddies or playing with their their dad or you know whoever and uh so that's that's a good answer we'll have to we'll put that one on the bucket list jr Not and sure. the
2: freezer truck tour
1: that's the freezer it freezer <laughs> truck yeah, yeah, you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll bring it out there um do you got a bucket list course anywhere in the world
2: well I know you hate when people say Augusta, but I'm going to say Augusta only because um, I got to go to the masters for the first time last year and it lived up to everything that I had hoped it would. And then some, and uh, I just, I don't think I've ever been at a golf course that made me want to play it more than, than Augusta itself. I mean, you could say Cypress point or Pine Valley or St. Andrews or Melbourne or anything. And the list goes on and on. But, um, something about being there for, for the first time after being, you know, loving the master so much, it was, uh, hard pressed to say you'd ever want to play anywhere else.
0: Were you, know? you there for practice rounds? Were you there for the tournament itself?
2: Uh, Wednesday, Thursday. Hmm. So we got, we got lucky. We, the Wednesday was pretty bad weather. And and you were actually only able to be, we were only able to be at the golf course for a couple hours. um, and then uh the thursday was great weather and we were there from kind of sun up to sundown and as i was telling you the best uh, the best souvenir I brought home was covid so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> worth it worth to it. the story. a thousand times over yeah, yeah.
1: that's awesome times over. yeah i love COVID. uh <laughs> did you uh how did you get those you uh is that through
2: modern golf or did you did you win the uh, True, uh the lottery? Uh, my or? my best friend Bobby Ward. I don't know if you guys know Bobby. He's a uh Silver Heights and uh he's an orthodontist now. Um Bruce Middle Schooler went to school with, with Ashley and I as well. And oh, wow. um, Bobby it was crazy actually. It's a it's a funny story. Bobby was he called me at nine thirty on the Monday at night and said, How fast can you get to Atlanta? And i said masters he said yeah i said cool i'll see you tomorrow and um <laughs> i called my wife and i said uh hey uh bobby just asked me if i wanted to go to augusta and i just kind of heard the sigh and then just just go you know just <laughs> get on an airplane and go because she yeah. didn't know much event and so it was kind of a whirlwind he had tickets from actually i think it was 2020 and with COVID, that was the year Dustin won. They had no fans. He couldn't go in 2021, and they sort of honoured his tickets in 2022. Um, and then the person he was supposed to go with couldn't go, and uh, and I got the lucky phone call. So. Wow um yeah kind of kind of crazy i was driving a hockey playing hockey with my buddies and i got there i said boys i think i'm going to augusta tomorrow and they were like are you out of your mind there's mm-hmm. <laughs> here it is right here,
1: that's awesome and uh, shout yeah, out Bo- so. shout out bobby bobby ward there it is yeah he, uh, he moved awesome. up even
2: more notches in my books with that so
1: yeah and you got great teeth so that's that's a plus <laughs> that's too. right yeah that's right yeah half of these are fake because he fixed them uh, up for uh, me so perfect. shout out bobby ward and uh <laughs> that's fun uh what is your career low round and where and and uh yeah not even in a, a competition setting but just it is uh 62
2: at saint charles wow what, um, what routing uh woods mckenzie mm-hmm. so actually kind of a backward routing oddly enough normally the that didn't, the routing didn't go that way, but it was our, it was actually to connect things back in circle. It was our Monday putter windup in can't remember what year it was. I think we won the, won the league that year and we had a kind of like a finale year end thing. And I did it in a, in the most God awful pair of like, pink pants you could ever miss back when we wore stupid colored pants and Jay Lindbergh and all that, you know, crazy stuff. Yeah. And, uh, this awful pair of pink pants. I shot 62 and wow. 10 birdies, snow bogeys. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. but That was pretty cool.
0: Where are those pants now?
2: Yeah. That is a good question. Actually. <laughs> that's, uh, it's probably, probably the reason why I haven't shot 62 since is yeah. I don't know where they are. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Framed. You should have framed him with the scorecard, and yeah. I've got the card. I don't have the pants. I can I can say that. Well, we we uh, we're pretty good at research. We'll track him down for you. They're probably at my parents' house. Yeah, that's true. You guys would probably be able
2: to go find him in my parents' basement. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, my wild card here, and I had a few of them, but I'll I'll stick with one. You, we love we love or I love name drops, and and you mentioned Jason Day, Dustin Johnson. <laughs> and uh you know i saw a few pictures of those on the show show so you know in in what capacity how did you get hooked up with them and were you doing some fittings were you in the tailor-made trailer at the canadian open or uh, how did you get hooked
2: up with them so we so our lab our performance lab was at Glen abbey and we had a build shop there so we could do club repair and that kind of thing and and I'm fortunate to have, have gotten to work I think six PJ tour events now. Um just through my connection with TaylorMade and when they would come to Canada, it's a little bit of a bizarro world because they can't get the trucks across the the border mm-hmm. very easily. The last time the truck came up to Canada, I think was twenty thirteen, maybe twenty fourteen in Montreal. But after that, they would just have us do everything. And the tour reps, there might be a tour rep or two that would come up, but they had kind of built some trust in in myself and our team and uh, we just kind of got thrust into it and they just sort of said, Hey, can you fix this? And what was really neat was we had, because no vans came up, we were not only dealing with the tailor-made players, we were dealing with everybody. And so um, the Bryson DeChambeau one was crazy because he walked in on a Wednesday afternoon and asked me to build a set of golf clubs for him. And, um, hmm which was kind of mind blowing when you think that, you know, they're all the same length and they've got these massive grips on them and all this crazy stuff that, that he Mm -hmm. does and, and, you know, his unique way of the game and um, yeah, just some really extraordinary opportunities and some really incredibly cool opportunities that came our way by, I guess, right place at the right time and just, you know, not screwing up enough things that they'd said that we weren't allowed to work with those guys. So, um, it was pretty cool. And, you know, and, and, you know, the list of guys is pretty, pretty vast and pretty deep, but it was a pretty cool experience to get to be up close and personal with those guys as much as we were.
1: Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I, didn't they just host the Canadian open there like year after year for a good decade at Glen Abbey?
2: Yeah, it's been there. I can't remember how many times, but, but it was in my time. It was in uh, 2013, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, I think. Oh, nice. um, yeah, oh. good a good run of it. And, uh, you know, it's moving around a little bit again. And Oakdale mm-hmm. looked like it was awesome for the tournament this week and Hamilton again next year and St. George's last year. So nice. Yeah. Well, um, it... hitting some of the really great ones. Well, we we keep
1: uh we see, we keep faxing them we know the golf or the uh you know the PGA's fax number and uh we're we're trying to advocate for uh, a southwood or uh or uh st charles or a breezy Bend canadian <laughs> open uh they're not replying to our faxes but uh i mean mosquito rule
2: there's just too many mosquitoes there for uh, for those
1: guys they keep the scores low we, yeah, uh, right. we heard the stories of the, uh, was it the, uh, LPGA Canadian open at St. Chuck's <laughs> yeah. we've gone over that a, a few times. So I don't know if you had witnessed that, but yeah, lots of mosquitoes
2: there. I was, that was actually, that was my first kind of my first ever tour event that I got to help out at actually Ronnie and I had to deal with a bunch of stuff as it kind of the tailor-made side of things. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I remember the mosquitoes and, Seems like a long time ago, but a pretty cool week with Michelle winning that week too.
1: Mm-hmm. They were asking you to spray their clubs with uh, mosquito repellent. Heavy um, deet. That's deet. That's right. Deet. <laughs> I've heard of chapstick on the face of a driver helping your, uh, the, 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 the spin. I don't know if uh, spang, spraying some uh, mosquito spray on it would, would do the same effect. I'm not sure. We'll have to test that. Mm-hmm. Um but well, that's that's pretty amazing working with uh, some of those big names. Our uh, our flagship question of the back nine lightning arrow: What is your favorite condiment? Uh,
2: well, my friends that know me from back home would have said ketchup a thousand times over. But uh, I'd like to say I've matured, and I um, you guys do you guys have the the best thing I found in the last while is the uh, Frank's Red Hot thick sauce.
1: Ooh, no, I don't. I've never seen yeah. that, but I could uh, guess
2: what should, it's like. Yeah, you should have a look for it in the grocery, in the condiment aisle. It's it's like ketchup texture, but like hot mm. sauce. So you could put it on burgers and that mm. kind of stuff. Oh, and it's awesome. Cold. They have a few different flavors. So okay, I gotta say I'm I'm partial to the uh, the Frank's thick sauce. We'll go with that thick sauce.
1: Well, that's another nickname. We could just call you thick sauce, there there you go. Go. <laughs> but, uh, like I've never, I've never heard of the, uh, heavy viscosity Franks. No. That's that, that should be good. It's yeah, awesome. good, it's a life changer. Yeah. Well, you'll have to, you send us some, some thick sauce and, and we'll send you uh, a set of clubs to, to fit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good deal to me. Sounds like a great deal. Shipping might be expensive, but, uh, well, that's awesome. Uh, we'll have to find that. I, that's a, yeah. certainly a first. That's a first on this episode. I want to try it for
2: right. sure. Awesome. Yeah. you can't find it, let me know. I'll happily send you guys.
0: So. Okay. Well, I will be looking. That's for darn sure. And I'm going to have my eyes open. Well, uh, that was the the back nine lightning round. And it was for Bryce, Matt Matlashewski, who is an investment advisor with Endeavor Wealth Management, part of IA Private Wealth, and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. You can contact Brace at 204 515 three four four six Stu. this was amazing uh thank you so much for for hanging around hanging on this is a really long time that you spent with us so we really appreciate it <laughs> yeah. giving us all the insights yeah. and the info what a life so far can't wait to see what you do with the next 40 years of it and hopefully we'll be a part yeah. of it at some point
2: well thank you guys yeah i'm loving uh uh, thrilled to be on it thrilled to be a listener you know long time listener first time caller i guess right and uh absolutely thrilled to, thrilled that you guys asked me thank you guys so much love the pod love what you're doing for manitoba golf and uh you know if you ever need a long-winded run on things again just to just skimmy holler always here to yeah uh, chat this has been fun
1: well if i knew if i knew you were this interesting i would have got here on time <laughs> I'll take yeah, no offense to I, it this I, time, Mike. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm very sorry to you and, and our listeners for not being here on time. Hopefully I haven't delayed the show or prolonged it too long. I don't know what we are for a timestamp, but you'll see it on the Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. It'll be there. Can't wait.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Have a great night. Uh, and we'll talk to you in stew part two. Thanks again.
1: Uh, Thank a good you guys. One. Take care. Yeah. sauce. <laughs> and you can count on me waiting for you in the parking lot.